You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. You know, we took some time this last year and we talked about hope in the midst of chaos and trouble. We talked about um, what true biblical hope is and um, how Advent puts us into a place and a posture of waiting and realizing what we're really waiting for. And also, I think we should have picked up on the fact that when we are waiting and when we are hoping, what we're also doing is we're searching and we're looking and, and we're living like what we hope to find and hope to have um, is truly achievable. And it's not something that is um, just in theory, I guess. We had done that on the back of walking through the book of James And if you remember anything about the book of James, we walk through this reality that our faith works. Faith works. One of the things that we did not do was we didn't finish the book of James. And as we sat over Christmas break, I really all the way down to just a few days ago felt pretty disoriented in terms of where God wanted to lead us in the new year going into 2021, talking about 2020. And, you know, in the the bad ways that we talk about the year, um, but then still being in some of the same holding pattern. And it dawned on me that the last two verses in the book of James, we didn't hit and we weren't going to. uh, But I really feel like God would have us to focus on them. So I'm going to read James five, verse 19 and 20. As I got to talk to John and Carrie Conrad this week, I told them there ain't no amen, no salutations, no greetings, no benediction. This is just the last words. And then James was done. James 5 and 19 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is still teaching us that faith works. And now he's saying this in summary, faith works by lovingly pursuing wandering people back to the truth or back to salvation. Our true and genuine faith, faith that is genuine and faith that is based on the truth, lovingly pursues people who are wandering off because we want to see them saved and rescued and brought back to the truth. In reading these verses, it's kind of an odd ending and it doesn't make sense. It feels like why in the world did he decide to drop off by saying that and just close the book? And also, like just looking at it, it it begs a few questions. For me, it creates some urgency, but it also begs a few questions. 
the first question I thought about is like, well, who's he talking to, you know, and who's he talking about? Isn't it interesting that he just says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's all this general. There's some specific, but it's some it's general anyone and, and someone and whoever. It's interesting that he's talking about a person who would wander away from the truth. And he's still addressing. Like here um, at the top of verse 19, brothers and sisters, right? When it says my brothers, he's really saying my brothers and sisters. It's not just talking about uh, those who would be male. So he's saying to everyone that he's writing to and just to remind you he's writing to the jewish christians who are in uh dispersion they have had their own share of persecution and there's a global famine otherwise known as a pandemic that has people meeting in their homes and meeting in small groups and dispersed and they cannot gather in large groups in the way that they comfortably want to and he wrote to them this letter and at the end of it the last thing he says to them is to all of you, no matter where you are, to each one of you, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. I, I thought that was interesting because what it reminded me of is that there is an understanding of truth that is synonymous with the gospel. That the truth literally is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And the truth is... Um, absolutely like fundamental to our salvation. When it says anyone who wanders away from the truth, it's talking about a person not necessarily that wanders away from speaking something that could be true by spoken words, but more so this is talking about wandering away from undeniable reality. Whether it be because you start to believe something different or you be uh, you, you decide that you want to behave a different way or go after a different religion or whatever that is. He's talking about something that's fully tested and something that's fully proven to be true. Namely, think about the promises that we just even thought of this last season and think about God's word and, and who God is. If somebody wanders away from the truthfulness of that is what he's saying. He's presenting again the truth and the gospel as synonymous with one another. And just so you don't have to take my word for that, let me read to you James 1 verse 18 and, and, and verse uh, chapter 3 verse 14 as a reminder. 118 says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Talking about the new birth and talking about new faith and new creation, he literally says that God brought us forth by his own will, by the word of truth. And we know the word of truth is the gospel because that's what transforms our hearts and brings us to be a first fruit uh, of, of new creation. Chapter 3 and verse 14 says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and do what? Be false to the truth. He's not saying don't lie about it he's saying don't be the kind of person that boasts about being bitter and boasts about being a jealous individual and brags about being that individual while you bear the name of christ because that that gives a false witness to what the truth is which is namely that he is true and that he's loving and that he's not 
uh, he called us to selfism. And you guys remember, we walked through that. And James is talking like his big brother, right? Jesus spoke of the truth in one in the same way. If you think about him on trial before Pilate, he said to Pilate, after Pilate asked him, are you a king? Or, or actually he says, so you're a king. And uh, Jesus said, you said that you say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate's question to him is stunning. And I think that if we are not careful, we can like pinpoint him as being, a, a, you know, worse than we are or the audacity or the nerve. When he answered Jesus back at that moment and said, what is truth? And walked out and condemned him and sent him to be crucified. Those are the last things that Pilate said to the Messiah, to the savior of the world. After he told him, if anybody hears my words and the truth, then that person is saved. And he said, what is truth? And walked off. Let Barabbas, a murderer, go and condemned Jesus and crowned him in thorns to say. You're the king, huh? James is picking up on something in the ministry of Jesus. I'll give you some homework to go back and look at. Read John chapter eight this week and just look at how Jesus interacted with Jews who it says actually believed in him. And the way in which he called them to truth and then what they ended up doing. It, I'll save the spoiler or I'll spoil it for you now. They try to kill him, right? But it literally says the Jews who believed in him were following him. And then, so then he said some things about the truth. And at the end, they picked up stones to throw away from him. And so the question that I say all that as a preface, okay? The question that that begs for me is, who is he talking about? Is he saying that there can be believers who are backsliders who used to know the truth that walk away from the truth? Or is he talking about people who don't know the truth and never have heard of it at all? They never knew Christ, and so they never were in the church. Is he talking about somebody who might have heard a little bit of it, but never really believed it and took it on for themselves? The answer is yes. Yes to all three. Think about Mark 4 and Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the seed in the soil. Some fell along the path. Some fell down and, and it and it took root quickly and sprout or it sprouted up really quickly. And then others took root and then it sprouted up over time. But then the cares of the world began to choke it out. He literally says that there are three categories of people that the crows might come and take it away from the path. It might get scorched out by heat or there might be other thorns and thistles that grow up around it and choke it out. Some of you have a green thumb and you know all about that when the weeds grow up in your plants and it chokes out the life in them. He literally says that there can be three categories of people who walk away and wander away from the truth. And so to me, it's, it's, it's yes. He's talking about all three. And as he talks about those, he gives a charge to his brothers, his sisters, every single person. And he says, if any one of you, if any one of you wanders away from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know these things. Namely, That he saves his soul from death and he covers a multitude of sins. There's two points. Christians are in the business of soul winning and loving people. Soul winning. 
I think as good as it feels and as good as it looks to give away a thousand toys, to feed the hungry, to close the sick, to meet tangible needs and felt needs, and to be a, a presence of love and extension of, of mercy in the community. The reality is, is God has called you and I to preach the gospel and to make disciples. We can make sandwiches too, but we must remember that he's called us to make disciples. True or not true? I used to say all the time when I worked at Children's Hunger Fund, hey, when I was training churches in gospel-centered mercy ministry, I would always remind them, hey, remember, we give away beans, rice, and Jesus Christ because we give truckloads of stuff away all the time. We give away boxes of food all the time. We give away turkey dinners and things all the time. And hey, God has called us as we're giving you these thousands of dollars worth of things that you didn't have to purchase for yourself and that you're not going to sell to anybody else. It's freely received. And so you freely give. Remember, we give away beans, rice and Jesus Christ, that we give away good news of what God has done for us in Christ. James is still picking up on Proverbs. He talks so much about wisdom that we've really just basically started to say he must have really been reading those Proverbs. What's Proverbs 1130? It says this very simply, the fruit of the righteous is like a tree producing life and the one who wins souls is wise. Soul winning. If you look closely here, this isn't the job of a leader, church leader, a pastor, an elder. He says, my brothers, if any one of you He's addressing his brothers and sisters. It's anyone among you who wander and it's even more generally speaking, someone who brings them back. It goes back to that emphasis that we wanted to drive in when we launched, relaunched the church a year ago, year plus now. When we went into the one another series and we talked about exhorting one another and we literally said, hey, this is not the job of the paid pro professional. This is the job of every individual, especially when you see someone who might be straying away or wandering away from the truth. That God has called us to do this. It's not just something that the pastor should do. It's a necessary ministry for every member of the body of Christ to care about the discipleship of their brothers and sisters in the faith. It is it is is a privilege and it's something that we practice mutually. I do this as a brother in Christ to you and I need you to do the same thing for me. Pastors ain't nobody special. That's written in my notes here. But to exercise this, you still have to be picking up what James was telling us about in the last two chapters. You have to abandon self-preservation and abandon this like selfishness that might cause you to say, well, that's not my problem. I don't want to get in somebody else's business and issues. I really appreciated hearing from Emerus that her word this year is truth and, and namely that she needs to speak truth and be bold with it because that literally is striking a chord with me as I turn the corner on this new year. I wrote down, if you see someone that's wandering and you shrug, shrug it off because you don't feel like you're your brother's keeper, then you're not loving them and you're not being a, a good disciple. You're responsible to help your brother or sister who is struggling with unbelief or with sin. And you can't just keep your distance and act as though it's none of your business. You know, this flies in the face of our culture, right? 
This flies in the face of our culture. It's not politically correct to confront somebody over something as personal as a decision that they made with their lives that you might consider to be morally wrong or sinful. That's just not the way that we do it as Americans and as people, right? Especially something as personal as their supposed free will. Like, who are you to judge? To involve ourselves in the personal affairs of others is thought to be some spin of or of like self-righteousness. It's, it's too judgmental. And... Most of us, in any case, we don't like conflict. And so we don't want to involve ourselves in, in somebody else's issues. And we just like to keep a relationship or the way things are. We like really want there to be a, a peace maintained. We want there to be some kind of a, you know, we don't have to uh, ruffle feathers or cause a scene. And we'd rather keep out of things. It's sad that the American evangelical church is no different than the American culture that we live in in a lot of ways if i told you right now or as as you think right now maybe even about someone that you can think about some of the first thoughts that might come to your mind like they come to my mind are who am i to judge or what if what if it feels like i'm you know not being uh, what if it's not received well what if they get mad We've been discipled to mind our own business. <laughs> and James is calling us to mind the eternal business of others. This is why I think this is important enough not to like say, oh, we're done and never go back to. James is leading us, leaving us, no doubt. God did not call you and I to be politically correct. He called us in this day and age to be Protestant Christians. We're not to be polit politically correct. We're those who have an evangel. We have good news and we want to share that to make disciples in obedience to what Jesus left us as ministry. And we pursue those who are lost. You guys know I like reading Spurgeon. I got a couple quotes from him. Old stuff. Spurgeon said, I would rather be the means of saving a soul from death than be the greatest orator on earth. I would rather bring the poorest woman in the world to the feet of Jesus than I would to be made the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'd sooner pluck one single brand from the burning than explain all the mysteries. To win a soul from going down into the pit is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. Hello, 2020. Do you guys see that? Spurgeon again, what I have said of soul winners belongs not to the learned, not to the doctor of divinity or to the eloquent preacher alone, but to all of you who are in Christ Jesus, every man, every woman, every child whose heart is right with God may be a soul winner and is called to be so. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I can't see you guys. I want to hear somebody. He went on to say that the most likely instrument to do the Lord's work is the man who expects God will use him and who goes forth with that kind of boldness, Amy, to labor in the strength of that conviction. And you know what? I believe that the opposite is true. I believe that the last person God will use is the one who doesn't believe it's worth their time or doesn't want to ruffle feathers or worse yet, doesn't even believe that it can happen. That person is too far gone. They've wandered so far from the truth. They're teaching a false doctrine. They're leading an alternative lifestyle. They're going there doing whatever. So it's not none of my business. I'm not going to call them out. I believe God definitely won't use that person. God's not going to use a dead tool to work a living miracle. We believe that, right? I mean, 
Star and Amanda, I keep going back to this. They're reading Ezekiel and they're talking about dead bones and, you know, the prophecy of Ezekiel standing there. And God says, hey, can they, these bones live? I don't know. Can they? And it's like, what do you do? Prophesy over them. And then all of a sudden, sinews come together, right? Muscles and, and skin. And it becomes living creatures again. And it was a valley of dry bones. That is a picture of what happens in the transformation of a heart when you speak the word of God, the good news to people, and they come to life. Sometimes it looks like bringing people back. Soul winning. That's what God has called us to do. He's also called us to love people, loving, loving sinners, namely, is that, you know, Proverbs 10 says, love covers all offenses. First Peter four says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And here we see that if you bring back a, a sinner from their wandering, you will cover a multitude of sins. Real love speaks and it calls people back to the truth. That's real love, y'all. Love is doing the best for a person, even if it's at the highest expense to you. And they might get mad as hell. But I know you don't want them to go there. I came home rapping yesterday. I was telling Jamie, I'm like, man, the great philosopher uh, DMX said it's dark and hell is hot. Some of you guys have no idea what that is. If, if Josh Carlson is on there, that was for him. All right. <laughs> but I think this is another sad reality in evangelicalism that we don't want to talk that way. We'd rather stay up in the trees where things are all real nice. And it's not only that we would rather do that. It's not only also that it's not part of our culture because we've taken too much of the American culture. But I think we also believe in things like the sovereignty of God and eternal security. And so therefore, it's not in our teaching and it's not in our discipleship because we've come so high in theology. And we know so much about the way God works that we don't even want to talk like this. We're taught once saved, always saved. So I don't know who could ever wander from the truth. I, we don't even want to deal with it, right? We take it a step further and we start talking about the perseverance of the saints and how people, God preserves people and how they actually uh, persevere. And we get all deep into things to abdicate our responsibility to go after our brother or sister who is wandering from the truth. And it's not it's not that look, it's bad enough that we would actually erroneously believe that it's the pastor's job. But now even deeper, we've taken God to blame in the name of he's the one who's in control. So I don't have to do anything. In a sense, we're saying, well, I don't have to call them. I don't have to try and confront them. I don't have to speak to anybody. God's going to do it somehow, someday, some way. And I just keep going on with my life that that's sad, y'all. If you're if you're here, if you're one of the people who think about eternal security that way and you're like, yeah, I believe that. Let me say this to you and we can talk about it in debate after if you want to. Eternal security is accomplished in Christian community. Eternal security comes about and is accomplished in Christian community. Save save yourself the debate. I, I personally have forgotten more theology on purpose that I care to try and remember and if somebody was to ask me, if God preserves and keeps his people, how does he do it? Then my answer would be through his other people, at least in part. No. 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 So, I mean, the big idea that James has given to us is your faith is genuine. Our faith works by lovingly pursuing wandering people back to the truth. 
or back to salvation, back to reality. This is genuine faith in loving action. We've heard faith without works is dead. We've heard show me your works without faith or show me your faith without work. I mean, we've gone through all that and literally he's capping it off to say faith still works. Here's another way that it works. It works by loving other people back to the truth. Now, when the re when the news reported about Gia on July 24th that she had gone missing and you guys just watched that. And then her parents, right, they reported it and filed a, a missing per person report. Um, it was because she had not responded to text messages for 24 hours and had left home and they didn't know where she was. And so because they loved her, they sought her. And after a time, they were convinced that something had to be wrong. Three days later, on July 27th, the authorities found her vehicle on a bridge that was about an hour outside of Seattle, up in the woods somewhere. Highway 2. We got some people here from the Pacific Northwest know exactly where that is. And it was another four days that passed before the search and rescue teams reported back that they found her shoes, her Bible, a bag and a dead cell phone, but they still had not found her. And this was the last day that they would be out there looking for her. And shortly after they found her items, they found Gia nearby in a creek alive nine days after she went missing. The search and rescue teams have been in the area looking for her for the last seven days. A family friend who refused to sleep for the whole week just about until she was found told the news this. We knew this was the last day of the search and we were concerned that we weren't going to find her and we were going to leave these mountains without her. So we pursued her. Hundreds of volunteers led Gia's parents. They posted thousands of signs and on foot and on car and everything else. They've covered thousands of miles in the wood and sacrificed everything until the daughter that they knew had returned and was found because they loved her. This is a picture of God's love for us. God is the God of pursuit. Do you believe that? He pursued Abraham or Adam and Eve. In the garden, when they sinned, he pursued Abraham. Yes, but more specifically, he pursued Israel, wandering through the desert, worshiping other gods and rebelling after him. He pursued David, wandering away from the truth and taking another man's wife. And then finally, you know, taking another man's uh, life and, and lying about it. He pursued the people of God when they were in exile in Babylon, right? He consumed them with a covenant love. Read Hosea. The promise, right, that not just of redemption, but of a suffering redeemer. Isaiah would even say that he himself would come and he would find us and rescue us, even though it would cost him everything. He would sacrifice it all and he would do whatever had to be done in order to pursue his people. And isn't this just what we have been reflecting on over the Advent series? That God is the God of pursuit who came down to earth. He left heaven and moved into our neighborhood. Emmanuel, he's God with us. He came and he pursued us, sacrificing the highest cost in order to rans ransom us and to rescue us, his lost children. God's the God of pursuit and he's called us to do the exact same thing. This literally could just say, hey, go pursue that person. I'll just close by saying God is still a God of pursuit. He's come once and he's coming again. 
He's still a God of pursuit. He's still pursuing us. He's coming back to rescue us from all that entangles us and all that enslaves us and all that entices us to wander away from the truth. And he's called us to be instruments in his hand in the lives of our brothers and sisters to do the one and the same thing here and uh, as we wait. If you believe that, if you believe that he came once and we celebrate that at Christmas and he's coming again, we reflect on that through Advent and we're waiting for that. If you believe that, then God wants you. If you see your brother or sister who is wandering, he wants you to pursue them, to save their soul and to love them by covering a multitude of sins. No matter how great or no matter how many, no matter how many offended you might be. And, and pursuing them doesn't mean that you go and you, you are, you're arrogant. I mean, this comes right on the heels of what it looks like to pray, right? The prayer of faith. I think the first thing we should be thinking, we shouldn't even think about maybe going after a person with the truth and dropping a truth bomb on them if we're not even praying for them. We shouldn't think about dropping presents off. That's why we, we stopped at every turn that we could to say, hey, let's pray for the families who will receive these things. Let's pray for opportunities to gospelize, to make disciples. So anyway, I'm going to pray right here at the end and, and close us out. But I want us to be thinking about that as we think about how God wants us to go in this next year to be bold, to follow, follow Amy's lead. Right. And to 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 uh, be more um, open to speak the truth um, and, and, yeah, to lovingly pursue wandering people back to the truth.